Thank you for listening to this teaching from the prayer room. For more teachings, notes, downloads, or to subscribe to our podcast, as well as information about who we are and our upcoming events, visit our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Well, I love it when the Lord uh, does these fun little connection points that were not intentional, at least on on the human side of things. Uh, Tonight's message has been planned, this session 10, for months and months and months and months. And it just so happens that it falls on the weekend of Resurrection uh, Sunday and a Good Friday. And the uh, descriptions of Jesus is really what we're going to be looking at tonight. And so I love that Jesus wants to talk about himself and wants to make sure that this weekend is all his. And so while there could have been a hundred topics, literally, that we could have looked at tonight, um, the one that we've had slated for forever uh, was a detailed description of the Son of Man. And so we're going to, this is in session 10 tonight in the book of Revelation. And so we're going to jump in and uh, see what the Lord might have for us. Well, there are many descriptions in the book of Revelation of Jesus. And we're going to be pulling from a number of those passages, but the primary uh, reference that we're going to be using tonight is uh, really out of uh, the first chapter, chapter 1, uh, 12 through 15, which is describing the Son of Man, or one like the Son of Man. And uh, what I, I love about uh, this subject is that we as believers, we're not believers in a religion, we're actually followers of a man. And as followers of a man, we want to know who that man is. We want to know what he's like and what he thinks and, and how, how he responds and what he wants from us. And so by looking at the descriptions of Jesus in the book of Revelation, we can gain insight into what this man is like, this one that we follow, this one that we love, this one that saved us. And so we want to know Jesus. We want to know everything about him. The book of Revelation gives us many details. These details are not just for trivia. It's not so that we could, you know, win a contest of how many things you can quote about the book of Revelation. That's neat, I guess. I don't know. That sounds kind of lame, actually, to me. I want to know him. I want to know the person. And the book of Revelation, as we've talked about in many sessions, is the revelation of Jesus Christ. And so we want that revelation unveiled to us. And so this weekend, uh, being a Good Friday and then... Uh, tomorrow, Resurrection Sunday, I love that this is sandwiched right in the middle of it, where we're going to get to talk about him, and these details about him, they're actually given to us, not for trivia, but for encounter. They're given to us. Details about who he is is not so that we can uh, just uh, satisfy curiosity, but that we could actually encounter him through these uh, components, of re- these revelations of who he is and what he's like. I gave you in part B a number of uh, passages in book of Revelation that give us uh, descriptive phrases, and we're going to be pulling from all of those, though again, primarily from chapter 1. What the book of Revelation does for us that I, uh, I love is that so often growing up in a Sunday school environment or whatever your church context was, or if you're new to, uh, to Christ, so often... Our picture of Jesus is mostly the picture that we see of him walking around during his earthly ministry. 
What we think of when we think of Jesus, we mostly think of him as a man, a Jewish man, walking around and doing things. And that is absolutely accurate. But it's incomplete. Because he is fully man. But Revelation gives us a picture of what it looks like when this one who is fully man is also 100% God. And the book of Revelation helps marry these two concepts together and gives us descriptions of Jesus as fully man and also fully God. And it's a beautiful, complete picture of who he is that if we're only thinking of him as the Jesus walking around doing miracles, which he did miracles, and he'll do more, if we're only thinking of him as a human Jewish man, we are absolutely correct but incomplete. And the full picture is he is God and fully a Jewish man. And so we want to uh, get that picture. And I think that Revelation chapter 1, I'm going to just read you the bottom of the page here, gives us an excellent introduction to what I'm talking about, him being fully God and fully man. I'm uh, reading here bottom of page 1. Revelation 1. I turned around to see the voice that was speaking to me. And when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was someone like a son of man, dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet, and with a golden sash around his chest. The hair on his head was white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were like blazing fire. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars, and coming out of his mouth was a sharp, double-edged sword. His face was like the sun shining in all of its brilliance. This is pretty intense. Well, what I want to do is I want to draw attention to the phrase, Son of man. I really like this. I like this term. I, I like what it means. This was Jesus' favorite term about himself. In the New Testament, in, in the Gospels, this is the term that Jesus would use about himself more than any other term. And it's a term that he's pulling out of Daniel, and, uh, and also there's other uh, references, and, and uh, uh, at least other places it's alluded to. But this is a, a passage out of Daniel that Jesus is referring back to, and he's saying, I am the Son of Man. Now, this is Jesus talking about himself, and he uses it, uh, it's the term that he speaks of about himself more than any other term. But what I love is in the, in the book of Daniel, where the passage is, uh, where this term is introduced, Son of Man, and in the book of Revelation here, where we see him as one like the Son of Man, you would think that the term son of man, you would think it has so much to do with his humanity and it has everything to do with his godness. The picture that we see in Daniel and the picture that we see here in Revelation where that term son of man is used are actually describing him as, as God. Describing this man figure who is not only human, he is fully God and it's just, it's a, one of those ways that the Lord ties together him being fully God and fully man is in this term, one like the Son of Man. Because you think, what's a son of a man? There's a son, is another man. You've got a man and a woman, they have a son. The son is a human. And so Jesus is identifying with his humanity, but the passages that use the term Son of Man in Revelation and in uh, uh, the book of Daniel, they are wildly talking about his godness, his deity. 
his power married to a human frame. So I just really like that. All right, we're going to jump in now, moving along. What we're going to do in this session is we're going to break down the descriptions of Jesus and going to do it uh, by uh, some different categories. So the first one that we're going to cover is his appearance. We'll cover some uh, descriptions of Jesus in the book of Revelation. That's the key here. All of these references are book of Revelation Jesus references. So the first category we'll do is his appearance. The next one is we'll cover his apparel. You know, Jesus shops at Macy's. Jesus is wearing apparel. There's stuff that he's wearing in the book of Revelation. And we want to look at each one of those components. And then the last one we want to look at is the stuff he's carrying in his hand. Stuff in his hands. And then we'll talk a little bit about him being clothed in uh, something else at the end. All right. Well, here we are. Top of page two. Description of Jesus' appearance. His eyes of fire. Look, I gave you three different verses in the book of Revelation. Again, all of these are Revelation uh, um, uh, verses that are descriptions of Jesus in the book of Revelation. There is so much meat. I just want to invite you, take this session into a two-hour prayer meeting. If you're not signed up for one of those, it's really easy. Just pick a prayer meeting. Boom, you're signed up. So sign up for a prayer meeting. Pick a two-hour time period. Come into this room and digest these components of Jesus' description that the Holy Spirit highlighted that we've had eternalized in the Bible. And just take 30 minutes and ask Jesus about his eyeballs. And then read these verses. Revelation 1.14. His eyes were like blazing fire. Revelation 2.8. Uh, 2.18, these are the words of the Son of God whose eyes are like blazing fire. 19.12, his eyes are like blazing fire. I think we're supposed to get the point here that his eyes are like blazing fire. But that is the most intense thought. Okay, if you ever meet a person who has particularly intriguing eyes, it, not everybody has particularly intriguing eyes. Most of us have got eyes and we're grateful that we do. But every now and then you meet somebody, you're like, dang, your eyes are cool. And you can't help but kind of stare and say something. Jesus' eyes are blazing fire. Fire eyes that blaze out of his eye sockets. Blazing fire. And we're told it three times because we're not to downplay it and go, oh, you know, he's got a little red hue in his eyeball. You know, his retina is orange. His eyes are like blazing fire. You don't describe, you cannot describe a human's eyes as being like blazing anything. You can't describe a person's eyes as having that kind of an attribute. This man is God, and his eyes are like blazing fire. I want to encourage you, spend some time trying to imagine that. Have one of the six-year-olds draw it for you. Part B, his face shines like the sun. Also, not normal. Moses came off the, uh, the mountain, and it said that his face shone with a brilliance. But it wasn't so bright that you like couldn't be near him. Jesus' face doesn't shine with a little bit of brilliance or a little bit of glory the description is, it's like staring into the sun. You ever tried to do that? Don't. Don't do it. Bad idea. Great way to need glasses. 
You can't stare into the sun because it's too blazing hot fire. The, the, the hues of, of light and brightness, your eyes can't take that in. Jesus' face is like the sun beaming at you. Okay? His face is the great eye. It's blazing fire. His face is like the sun. This doesn't mean when you look at him, he's got a little bit of a bright countenance. He seems very nice. His face is like the sun. That, that is so not human. That is so unusual and powerful. His face was like the sun shining in, oh yeah, all its brilliance. His face was like the sun. His face was like the sun? And somehow, John was still able to pick out his eyes that were blazing in a different way than the face was. John's able to see the difference between blazing eyes and brilliant sun. I just can't imagine staring at the sun and being able to see anything but just black spots after I close my eyes for a second. Like, Jesus is, his eyes are blazing fire, but his face is a sun. These are powerful descriptions of the Son of Man. He is very different than you and I. His head and hair were white like wool. Everything about him. I mean, just the brightness of the sun. When you think the sun, you're thinking bright whiteness. I mean, like helium and hydrogen and whatever whateverogen all exploding all at once, creating bright, brilliant light. Well, in the midst of this, Jesus' hair, and it also says his head, as different from his face, because his face is like the sun, his head is like wool, his hair is like snow. How do you have snow on a sun face? I mean, it would melt. I don't know, Jesus got it all perfected. He knows how to be woolly and snowy and brilliant and bright and fiery and light and sun. This is just his head. We haven't gotten to his shoulders anywhere else yet. This is just the man's face. He's got bright, woolly hair and brilliance about him. These are powerful descriptions of Jesus. Jesus who died. Jesus who rose again. Jesus who's coming back. Powerful descriptions. His feet are fiery bronze. It's not just bronze. The idea that we're given here, let's just read the verses. 117, 13, 15, it's all over. When I saw him, I fell at his feet, though dead. This is John in the midst of this. He sees his eyes, and you just imagine John thinks, I know what I'll do. I'll collapse so that I don't have to stare at his eyes anymore and his face and his woolly head. It's too bright for me. I can't stand it. So John falls at his feet and finds out, "Uh uh-oh, his feet are on fire too. He has a robe reaching down to his feet. His feet were like bronze glowing in a furnace. These are the words of the Son of God whose feet are like burnished bronze. Oh yeah, and also his legs are like fiery pillars we find in Revelation 10. Okay, so John falls down at his feet and his feet are like burnished bronze and his legs are like fiery pillars. These... These are very interesting descriptions because these fiery pillars were supposed to get the picture 
of the cloud of, uh, uh, or the pillar of fire uh, by night and the, the, uh, the, the cloud by day, kind of a picture, leading Egypt, or, I'm sorry, leading the, the Israelites out of Egypt in the desert during the Exodus. We're supposed to be getting this picture, this pillar of fire. So you've got this pillar of fire attached to burnished bronze. And the idea of burnished, what's being described there is when you're refining a, a, a metal like silver or gold or bronze, you put it in the fire so that two things happen. One, you can get out all the impurities. And two, so it's malleable so that you can bend it and you can do stuff with it. When John sees Jesus' feet, he sees Jesus' feet not as bronze, cold, bronze hot almost transparent probably bronze that is burnished that is in the fire that is red hot these are very interesting attributes characteristics of a man this man is fully god part e i just want to take a minute here on uh, the seven horns we are told in the book of revelation there are times where jesus appears as the son of man And then there's also descriptions where Jesus appears as the lamb. Now, you also remember that Jesus appeared on earth as a man that looked like a man. Okay? These are actually three different ways that Jesus can appear. Jesus can look. And by no means the the total number of the ways that he can appear. But when Jesus appeared as a man, they barely recognized him, even after he was resurrected. You guys remember? Road to Emmaus kind of a thing. They're walking with him, and he just looks like a dude. So he looked like a dude. Well, John sees him here in Revelation 1. He doesn't look like a dude. He looks like God. And thinking of him as the man walking around in Galilee was like the furthest thing from John's mind while he's seeing Jesus looking like Jesus in Revelation 1. Similarly, when the description is given of Jesus as the lamb, it is just as unique of a description. So we don't want to be trying to picture Jesus having all the attributes visually of the lamb, of, uh, of the Son of Man, and also as Jesus walking around in Galilee, all simultaneously at the same time. Instead, you want to picture it as Jesus in three different modes, okay? All Jesus, always Jesus, but Jesus wearing the face of the Lamb. Jesus wearing the face of the man. Jesus wearing the face of God the Son, okay? You catch me? You guys catch what I'm saying here? It's important because you don't want to imagine Jesus the man walking around with seven horns on his head. Though the lamb has seven horns. You got me? It's an important distinction. So Revelation 5, 6, we see the lamb has seven horns. And these horns, they're actually there. When Jesus is looking like the, the slain lamb, he doesn't actually look like, the slain, like a lamb like you're thinking. This lamb is far more intense than the lamb you're thinking. Because this lamb has seven horns and seven eyes. Okay? And he's, he is a very interesting intense creature in that in that picture think more like the living creatures around the throne than the man walking around in galilee okay and in that mode he has seven horns and these seven horns they're actual i mean they're on his head for real but these seven horns seven is a a number of of fullness and completion and horns uh, uh depict authority and power and these are depicting jesus as the one who is fully in power He has full authority to rule the nations. It's because he was the lamb, because he was the slain lamb, he then bought permission. He bought the right to be the lamb with the seven horns to rule over everything forever. And so that's the picture that we see of Jesus as the lamb with the seven horns. Part F here, 
his majestic and powerful voice. If you guys don't know Psalm 29, I want to encourage you, become familiar with Psalm, 1, with Psalm 29. It is a powerful chapter about the voice of the Lord and the power of the voice of the Lord. Like when the Lord does something, think like Genesis 1, he spoke, and though there was nothing just a minute ago, he spoke, and now, bing, boom, things start happening. That same voice, Psalm 29 unpacks what the voice of the Lord can do just by speaking a word. So I want to encourage you to become familiar with that. But whether you are or aren't, here in the book of Revelation, Revelation 1, and then also in uh, Revelation 10, a couple of passages here in Revelation 1, we see his voice was like the sound of rushing waters. I was in the Spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet. Revelation 10.3, he gave a loud shout like the roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voice of the seven thunders spoke. So here we see his shout was like the roar of a lion. We see that his voice was also like the sounding of a trumpet. And we see that his voice was also like the sound of rushing waters. These, this is as unique a description about his voice as fire, blazing fire is about his eyes. You don't have the capacity to do any of this. You, you can try all day to, you know, to shout and it sound like a lion. It will be so pathetic. You will sound so weak and not like a lion no matter how hard you try. And if by some miracle you spent 50 years of your life perfecting that one, you still have the whole rushing waters thing in the trumpet. You ain't going to sound like a trumpet no matter how hard you try. Jesus' voice, it's, it's not a trumpet. It sounds like a trumpet. Somehow there's a quality that when he speaks, it's like a trumpet. There's something, there's something profound occurring in the, the proclamation from his voice that is like a trumpet. It's coming across that way, but it's also like rushing waters. It's all surrounding and consuming and crashing and powerful it doesn't say trickling waters, a, a gentle stream. Rushing waters, a current raging, a waterfall. So his voice is, a, is like a roaring lion that's also trumpety and it's like a raging waterfall. All at the same time, his voice is powerful. This is the Son of Man. This is profound. His appearance, like precious gems. We see here in Revelation 4.3, one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. Now, just a couple of points here. Jasper is typically red or brown. It can have other colors. But typically, it's a red or a brownish red. And it's opaque. And it typically has different patterns in it. It's not a pure uh, a gem with just a single color. There's typically like different runs and patterns and such in it, which actually add to its beauty. But it's more of an opaque red. Then it says his appearance wasn't just like Jasper. It's also like a ruby. Well, a ruby goes the other direction. A ruby is transparent. It's translucent. It's a precious gem. It's typically a single hue uh, per stone. You know, there's lots of different stones, but most rubies, not all, are red. And so you've got this red Jasper, but it's opaque and it's got patterns. Then you've got this red ruby. It's translucent and it's, uh, it's of a single color and it's super precious. You got both of these and... This is the description of him. Honestly, here's my, here's my thought, and I could be wrong. I just, if I'm wrong, I'm just going to be shocked, okay? I think this is describing perhaps like a mood of God and that God can do this same variety of hues in any color that he wants. Here we're looking at the red one. 
We're seeing God in his red jasper, red ruby appearance in this moment. But why have that wide variety of red, that wide variety of transparent, translucent, of, of, of pattern of color, why have that only in red? I, I think it's actually, this is a quality of God in any of the colors that he invented. But John is seeing him in this one. All right, moving on. Descriptions of Jesus in his heavenly apparel. I love this. The book of Revelation tells us what clothes Jesus likes to wear. The book of Revelation tells us the stuff, the, the things that he adorns himself with, that he wears. First, he wears many crowns. Revelation 14, 14, there before me was one like the Son of Man with a crown of gold on his head. So this one, we see him again, Son of Man, and he's wearing a golden crown. Second one, on his head were many crowns. Revelation 19, verse 12. So here we see Jesus... And in one situation, he's depicted as just having one crown. And in another situation, he's depicted as having many. I believe that each one of these crowns has specific purpose, communicates specific uh, things about who he is, about his leadership, and that he can put any of them on that he wants. He's probably got a whole closet full of them, okay? And he wears these crowns at different times to, uh, to kind of walk in certain, uh, um, uh, what's the word, uniform almost. Like it's part of his uniform as he's, as he's being depicted and seen and acting in this way or in that way or in this way. Because in one passage we see he's only got one crown on his head. But in other passages it says he's wearing many crowns. So he wears crowns. Next, he's wearing a robe. To me this just makes him so real. Like any god that can wear a robe, I like bathrobes. I think they're fun. Just man. Maybe put some clothes on underneath. But walking around in a bathrobe. That's just fun. Like a big robe, a big flowing robe. Jesus wears robes. Jesus, son of God. He wears a robe. So he doesn't just wear like the, you know, I don't know, like the skinny jeans and the t-shirt. Like he's got a robe that he wears. And probably more than one we can be confident. Dressed in a robe, reaching down to his feet. It reaches all the way down to his feet, so it's not a high water. doesn't come up, you know, just below the knees. It goes all the way down to his feet, this robe. He was robed in a cloud, whatever that means. He's dressed in a robe dipped in blood on his robe and on his thigh. He had a name written. There's multiple passages in the book of Revelation that describe Jesus. We're supposed to get this. He wears clothing, robes. He wears clothes. And just, I'll just bring this up. The, uh, the textile mills in heaven have got to be way better than they are here on earth. There's clothing stores or seamstresses or something upstairs. Because Jesus didn't just genie blank and boom, he's got a robe on. Somebody made this robe. Jesus wears clothes that somebody made in heaven. He's wearing a robe. This just makes him so real to me. If you can wear a robe, you're not far off weird and unknowable. You're kind of like me, at least in the sense that you wear clothes. They're like, some of them fit, some of them don't. I mean, he's wearing a robe that fits him. He's wearing a golden sash. This sash, Revelation 1.13, this speaks, it doesn't only, but it speaks of his priestly anointing and who he is as the high priest who, uh, who we have that, can understand and uh, suffer with all of our uh, difficulties. He is one that understands all of our, our issues and our weaknesses. He is the high priest. This same uh, concept of a robe, 
was uh, in the uh, book of Exodus when uh, Aaron and his sons were ordained as the priesthood, ornate robes were created, were crafted uh, for, not robes, clothes too, ornate sashes were given to, uh, to Aaron and his sons so that they might wear the priesthood on them. And everywhere they went, who's that guy? Well, he's got a sash. You know what that means? What? Priesthood. So Jesus here in heaven, the priesthood is in heaven. Jesus as the high priest is in heaven priesting, doing priest stuff with a sash on him. It's part of the identity that he wears. He's not ashamed of his priestly identity. He wears it. It's golden. It's bright. It stands out. Listen, if a hundred people walked in here and only one of them was wearing a sash, everybody would instantly pick up on it because it, it stands out. It's an article of clothing that is meant to draw attention. And this golden sash that Jesus wears across his chest is there as part of his priesthood. Jesus has a tattoo. I know it's tough for some of you, but it's real. Revelation 19, 12 through 13, he has a name written on him. If you have a name written on you, that is called a tattoo, my friends. (laughs) Jesus has a tattoo, at least one. But this tattoo is so awesome, no one knows it but himself. Like, Jesus, that's a really cool tat, like rad. What does it mean? I'm not going to tell you. I only know myself. No one else knows. You look at it, it's like, I don't know, is that English? Is that, I don't even know what language that is. Did you make that up? Did you make that name up? Because I don't know what that is. He says, no one does but me. What a cool thing that Jesus has secrets for himself. I mean, really, that's actually a pretty cool attribute of Jesus, that there are things about him that he invented that he wants to retain as a secret. But he has to himself. We all love to have our little secrets, don't we? The little things, inside joke with our, our spouse or friend. Or We love to even just have certain things that we just know about God and uh, that we've talked to about God that we've never told anybody else. Those little secrets. Well, Jesus has it too. Because if Jesus knows it, you can believe the Father does as well. Jesus has a tattoo. On his robe and on his thigh was written the name King of Kings and Lord of Lords. So maybe that's the same tattoo and it's got multiple layers of revelation or maybe it's a second tattoo he's got one that nobody knows or can pronounce or read it and then another one that says lord of lords and king of kings perhaps it's one or the other well i just put this one on there because it's a little bit of a bonus top of page five you too will get a tattoo whether you like that or not does not matter your future tat is found in revelation 22 verse 4 his name will be on their foreheads. Revelation 3.12, the one who is victorious, I will write on them the name of my God. Revelation 14.1, who had his father's name, I'll say, wait, wait, who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. These are uh, uh, descriptions of believers being given, you can call it whatever you want, it's a tattoo. I mean, if you write it on there and it doesn't come off, it ain't marker, all right? So it's, it's, it's a tattoo, okay? And I mean, while you and I, initially, we would think, if you ever see those guys, it's always some foolish guy, that gets their, like, something written as a tattoo on their forehead, and for the rest of their life, they have to walk around like that, and we always think, oh, you poor soul, what were you thinking, bad decision. 
Jesus is like, I love that guy. You're all going to be like him. I'm going to write my name on your forehead and everywhere you go, branded, you're going to have this tat on your forehead. That is so incredible. A tattoo on your forehead. Amen. Praise the Lamb. Lord, deliver me now. Shock me now. Don't shock me then. All right. We're on the bottom of page five here. Description of what Jesus holds in his hands. We don't have time to get into all the details here because I want to cover uh, part uh, five as well. Part four here on page five. I want to cover part five as well, so I'm going to go pretty quick. But there's stuff Jesus has in his hands. You remember how I told you earlier about the crowns? There's occasions where we see that he's got one crown on his head, and then there's also an occasion where it says he's got many crowns. That, to me, just says there's times where he's wearing this crown and time where he's wearing that crown. Time where that. Maybe there are times where he's even got four, five, six of them on there, a crown, and each spike on the crown is a different crown. I don't know how all that works out. I just know that Jesus has got crowns and lots of them. Well, there's stuff he holds in his hands. And it is my uh, understanding that he's not walking around, because there's five major things that are shown in the book of Revelation as being in his hands, and it seems impossible to me, or impractical, or even why would you, to try to hold all five of these things at the same time in the hands. I think instead, there's sometimes where Jesus is holding this thing in his hand, and sometimes where he's holding this thing in his hand, sometimes when he's holding this thing in his hand, just like you and I do. Sometimes you're holding a steering wheel in your hand, and not typically at the same time a pen. Or your cell phone. Shame on you if you're holding your cell phone. Shame on me. Um, so let's talk about the five things, real quickly, that we see in the book of Revelation. One, a sharp sword. You hold a sword in your hand. The sword speaks of Jesus's, not just his willingness, but his intention to make war. He will make war. Next, an iron scepter. This speaks of his leadership over the nations. Next, a sharp sickle, part uh, C on page 6, a sharp sickle. This speaks of the harvest. This is actually, when Jesus is holding the sickle, this is actually a good thing. This is the great harvest at the end of the age. Now, there's another angel right in that same passage that's holding a sickle, and that's him bringing the, uh, the judgments against the earth, and that's, that's a bad sickle. That's the sickle coming against the, uh, the tares. You know, the wheat and the tares are to grow up together. Well, Jesus has got the sickle for the wheat, and this other angel has got the sickle for the tares, and it's going to be all in the same period of time. Next, he holds keys. We touched on that in a previous session, so I won't spend any time on it, but those keys are for sealing and for releasing things from heaven. Part E, he holds the seven stars. In, in a, a nutshell here, and I'll let you read the notes on your own, these seven stars are representative of the church. He's holding the church in his hands. It's his government over the church. All right, part five, page seven, and then we'll break into groups here in just a moment. Jesus is coming with the clouds. I just think it's so interesting how much cloud talk there is in the book of Revelation related to Jesus coming with, riding on, and being robed in a cloud or clouds. It all started, in my, in my opinion, it all started in Acts 1 when Jesus is taken up, and it says here, page 7, Men of Galilee, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who's been taken from you into heaven will come back the same way you've seen him go. Well, how did they see him go? They were looking intently up to the sky as he was going, and suddenly, uh, wait, oh, I missed it. No, After this, he was taken up before their eyes, and a cloud hid them from their sight. A cloud hid him. And, and the angels make sure to tell the disciples, 
you guys are freaked out about this. You just saw him disappear into a cloud. Kind of crazy, right? Yes. He's coming back with clouds the same way as you saw him go away in a cloud. He's going to come back with clouds. Revelation 1.7, look, he's coming with the clouds. Revelation 14.14, I looked and there before me was a white cloud and seated on the cloud, on the cloud. I've flown a few times through dense clouds and everything in me wants to jump out the window and sit on that cloud. But I know that would be a very foolish decision because I will not find myself sitting at all, but rather falling, falling, falling to my plummeting death to soon meet Jesus with a well-done silly servant. <laughs> Revelation 14, 16. He who was seated on the cloud swung his sickle. Jesus is coming with clouds. He's seated on a cloud. And then Revelation 10, 1. He was robed in a cloud. When Jesus comes back, we just need to recognize part of his attire, part of that robe that he's wearing, it's made from the finest silk called cloud He's robed in a cloud. I just encourage you, spend some time this week meditating on what in the world it means for a man who's God to be robed, clothed, wearing a culeonimbus. What does it look like for him to be wearing a cloud? Because he's robed in it. All right, so now we're going to break up into groups. If I can have my group leaders uh, raise your hand real quick. That's great. So uh, John is uh, tripping over his words. He's trying to describe the indescribable. He uses the word like a hundred times. Uh, how uh, um, uh, literal are these um, descriptions or how, just how does all that work? Um, John knows Jesus better than anybody. Uh, John was picked for this assignment called come see me and then write everything down. And we're going to call it Revelation. John knows Jesus better than anybody. He's picked for this assignment. And John is fumbling. He is doing the absolute best that he can. And all we can do is take what John is giving us and understand two things. John was commissioned to communicate these truths. So John, as weak as he is at it, must be doing an adequate enough job that God's happy about it. So... So they, it must be literal enough that we are at least down the right path in our understanding of like a cloud, like blazing this, like a sun. We must be at least down the right path, but we've got to absolutely leave the wiggle room for who knows how much bigger of a deal it is than what I can imagine because he is, his, higher, his thoughts are higher than I, ours because he is incomprehensible. Uh, because no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can conceive. I mean, we're, we fall short. The best of us fall short. However, we were given the descriptions so that we could reach and try. So our understanding, and I don't mean understanding at a glance, but understanding at pray and seek the Lord and match it up with other Bible passages and read this verse with that verse, you put all that together, you're, what you're getting in the literal sense must at least be down the road. It must at least be in the direction of what it is that was being attempted to be communicated to us. Otherwise, no, it wouldn't even matter that we have the descriptions and God could have just picked anybody. He picked John, who knew him the best. And he wanted this information as John being a faithful witness to give us the, uh, the picture. I'll just give it this way. If you've ever had a conversation with a person who had 
an encounter with God where they like couldn't get up the, off the floor and they were no use for days. I don't mean they like had a really cool moment in worship. I mean they were ruined when they had an encounter with God. After they're given some time to digest and then tell you about it, they're giving you a pretty good picture of what happened, though you cannot possibly conceive what happened to them. And that's what's happening here. So John is giving us as good of a picture as we can get as a human, uh, but also it, the vastness of God goes way beyond our understanding, which, of course, went beyond John's. So I don't know if that helps. All right, your question. So the question is, uh, related to the attributes of Jesus and specifically of his face and the different descriptions, is it, if we want to get more revelation, is it better to just kind of ask in general, God, give me understanding? Or is it better to go, uh, I'm going to look at each one of these and ask for understanding? Or is it better to try to picture uh, Jesus in our mind with all these attributes and draw it? I would say all of the above and ten more things. Uh, so whatever you can do to put together the picture and the framework in your head and in your spirit of what Jesus is being described as here is the reason we were given the information. Each one of these descriptions is supposed to be a, a breadcrumb trail <laughs> to who he is, to what he's like, to how he thinks and how he processes it, to, to how he looks and why he looks that way. And so I would encourage you, maybe in one sitting, you're, you're going to try to picture all of them together, actually do that last. In one setting... Pick one attribute of his face and spend 30, 45 minutes meditating on it and trying to get some revelation. And then another 45 minutes on a different attribute. And then another 40 minutes on a different. After all that, say, Lord, did I miss anything? Of course, the Holy Spirit's going to say, absolutely, you did. Give you more information. And then spend another one two weeks later going, okay, now I'm going to try to imagine all of it together. And then go at it again from a different angle. Like, there's, there is no end to how much we can get out of this. And remember, when we behold the face of Jesus, we become more like him. When we behold his nature, his goodness, and his beauty, it causes our hearts to come alive. You were made flesh, and you were made spirit. And when your spirit engages with him, your spirit comes alive, and you want to be more like him. So we want to activate our spirits to want to connect with Jesus and have a revelation of him. And you don't do that just through head knowledge and looking at facts. you got to get your heart and your imagination you got to get involved and engaged, and that's how your spirit comes alive. And as our spirit beholds him, we want to be more like him. So I want to encourage you, go on the journey of trying to figure out how far you can take this, how much time you could spend trying to gaze into the eyes of Jesus. So the new shirts that we just got made, they say, dwell, behold, inquire. The, another translation says, dwell, gaze, inquire. I want to encourage you to gaze into the face of Jesus, into the attributes of Jesus, gaze on this man, gaze on him, and, and set your, uh, your mind's eye and your focus to get revelation. Okay, uh, Andy, your, your group.
Oh, great question. So the question is, uh, the idea of the mark of God on a believer and the, uh, the being sealed by the Holy Spirit, um, the question is, do I think that um, we already have this name uh, written on us? Um, it's possible that we have some very small version measure but the reason I say it that way is because the verses we read were all will verses. This will happen. I will do this. Future tense. Hasn't done it yet. Will in the future. And so whatever it is that we're reading, um, we have not yet experienced. Uh, whatever it is that we're reading about, whatever this will be like, will be of a higher level, an upgraded version. Now I think absolutely when an angel sees a person, they're able to tell in an instant Jesus's or not Jesus's able to tell in an instant without any guess maybe something written on the head but whatever measure of demarcation there is in the spiritual realm right now by our salvation this is something that is on top of that this is something unique because these verses are describing <coughs> Jesus promising to do things in the future that he's not yet done or if he's done them he's going to do it even bigger better cooler you know brighter highlighter in the future so, um, so hopefully that's helpful. Yeah. Cass. That's so good. So uh, the question was, on a personal note for me, how has studying, looking at, meditating on the attributes of Jesus and maybe anything else that would be connected to that um, helped me, marked me, changed my life. Um, so, um, for me, I just, since I came to know the Lord in, uh, in 2000, nope, 1999, which is so funny, Andy and I had this little moment. It was, I just had my 20 year birthday in Jesus, uh, on the 19th, 18th, on the 18th. I, I have to ask Andy when my spiritual birthday was. <laughs> Sorry. It's just complicated. Anyway. Uh, so I just had 20 years in Jesus just a couple of days ago, which I'm just so excited about that. So, always. Um, so, uh, so in the in these 20 years, I can remember um, being intrigued by the Jesus of the Gospels when I first came to know the Lord. The thought of the Jesus of Revelation wasn't on my radar at all. I didn't even know that existed. The Jesus of the Gospels, seeing Jesus. And I just wanted to read all the red letters. How many of you were there? If you were one of those, I just want to read the red letters. I want to see what the man said and what he did. I want to see this stuff. Because there was this attraction in my spirit to know that man. Not just what he did, but what he's like and how if he did that for that person, he probably does the same, he feels the same way about me. There was something about that that I really wanted. I feel like when we began as a community to start studying the book of Revelation and the end times, we started to give some serious attention to that uh, I don't know, 14 years ago or somewhere in that time period, I feel like I had the same ex exhilaration, but maybe with an exponent on it related to the red letters, if you will, of the book of Revelation. And what I mean by that is the descriptions of Jesus in, the Re in Revelation describing him as he is unveiled, describing what he's like for when, when everything is revealed. The unveiling of Jesus, the revealing of Jesus, the revelation of Jesus Christ. When everything is revealed, what does he look like? I just found myself beginning, uh, becoming more and more fascinated with him. 
And that then led me to want to understand his leadership and, and many other attributes and facets in the book of Revelation, many of which we'll try to cover in this series. I became even more fascinated with who he is because I could try to sit down and imagine Jesus at the well with the woman. And after a little bit of time, I felt like I kind of had a picture of what happened. But when I sit down and I try to imagine his eyes like blazing fire, his face like the sun, I can go back to that same passage and start all over again and again and again and again. And I feel, I feel like I've gotten more information but have not closed the gap at all at the same time about what in the world is what I'm looking at and falling all the more in love with him from a place of even intrigue and awe. And so Jesus of the Gospels is so relatable as the God-man acting so much like a, like a human in great kindness. Seeing Jesus in Revelation is the revelation of his deity and then trying to shrink that back down into flesh again. It's, it's mysterious and glorious. And so for me, it's just, it's kind of like, all the intrigue uh, and, the, and the joy and even the, the joy in he is mysterious and wants to give us breadcrumbs but doesn't want to fully in, unveil himself. I just, I, it's mysterious and glorious. And so for me, it's given me fuel for my prayer life. It's given me more understanding of the bigness of God. Staring at the revelation of Jesus in Revelation, you, you tend, I tend to take him more seriously. The Jesus in, in the Gospels was so relatable, but he's also God. Like, fear and trembling fall down afraid. He's God, but he's man. But he's God. But he's... And so I just think it's important that we have that balance. And I believe it's one of the primary reasons we were actually given the book of Revelation. All the generations that didn't see the end times had the book of Revelation because it's the revelation of this man. All of them. And so all the generations should need, do need, will need the revelation of who Jesus is. and I, I, Anyway, I just can't say enough. So I think it's important, and I, I think it, it transforms our, our relationship with him and our interaction with him. Final question. Uh, all right, uh, let's do the second question after the first. Uh, so the first question was, how does looking at the attributes, studying, meditating on the attributes of Jesus in the book of Revelation or elsewhere, prepare us for the difficulties that are coming and the situations that are coming, um, specifically related to the end times? I will tell you that I believe there are great nuggets of truth and mystery in in studying that to get clarity, and I have not done that. And so I believe that it's there. I believe that there are significant elements of revelation tied to the components of his nature which are revealed in the book of Revelation, and it's the same book which then reveals all the judgments. I believe that there are specific uh, aspects of preparation that I don't have clarity on, uh, and I don't want to pretend that I do. Um, at the same time, I'll tell you that with what little bit of understanding I do have related to that uh, question, I think that 
the sheer, just in the broadest, without getting into any of the nuances, the sheer intensity of this man is the one who's going to appear in the sky. We're ready, we think, for the five foot eight Jewish man that walked around Galilee. But that man is coming back clothed in this man. <laughs> and, and we won't recognize him. If we haven't read Revelation, we, no one will be ready for who's coming, including the church. Because he is not coming in his manner of talk to the woman at the well, Revelation. He is coming in Revelation 1 like the Son of Man riding on the clouds with fire in his eyes and a sword coming out of his mouth. And so, so our understanding of who's coming back is wrong. If our thinking is the gospel's picture of Jesus, I'm telling you that man is in there, but he's clothed in Revelation 1 Jesus. And you will not be able to recognize the gospel's Jesus. It's the same Jesus. It's the same attribute. But he's coming in the fullness of who he is. The first time he came as two cells or a cell in a Holy Spirit cell. I don't know exactly how the Immaculate Conception works, but the first time he came as... He came as two cells or something. And the second time, he's coming as God, riding on the clouds. So, so the book of Revelation gives us the only right picture of how he'll look when he comes back. And if we don't have that picture kind of written on our hard drive, there will be, be a lot of confusion. There'll be a lot, it's, we need to get on board. We, we need to see the revelation Jesus, who is the same as the, the Gospels Jesus, who's the same as the revelation of Jesus in the Old Testament, but there are, there are aspects of his nature which were revealed in various periods of time, and the one that we're going to most need because we're going to most be relating with him is the revelation version uh, when he comes. So a uh, great question. Now, follow up, what was the... Oh, yeah, that's great. So um, uh, how does knowing one aspect of Jesus aid us to understand other aspects of Jesus and, and then applying that even to the book of Revelation and the aspects that we see uh, in this book? And worship team, you can come on up. Um, as with everything that we learn about Jesus, it prepares you to understand more things down the road. That trial you went through, if you were paying attention to Jesus and not just the problem, you are now better prepared for the next thing that you see him do in your life, whether good or bad, you, you now have a lens of which to, to process information. It's the same way with the attributes of Jesus is, as you start to understand, you know, oh, he's a man with clothes. Oh, but those clothes are brilliant, bright glory. That then helps you to picture him with actual hair, you know, as opposed to he's like wearing a wig or he's, he's like 700 feet tall, you know, because God's so big, he's got to be 700 feet tall or 7,000 feet tall or seven miles tall. He, he's a man. But, but when you understand one attribute, it helps you interpret the next. It, gives you, it starts to give you context. And so each one of these um, attributes, whether of his description or of his nature or of the way that he's going to interact with us, helps us to understand other pieces of him. And I don't know that there's a perfect way to start. You need this one before you get to this one. I just say go on the journey. Jesus wants us on the journey. 
I mean, that's, that's the deal. We need to be on the journey and committed to it till our death. It's more important than your job. It's more important than your family. You need to be on the journey of I want to know Jesus and I want to grow in the knowledge of God so that then I can serve the purposes of God in my generation and be a great husband or dad or wife or sister or coworker or whatever. All of those things are second, and we have made them first, and they are not first. First is the knowledge of Jesus. We want to be on that journey. So why don't we stand real quick, and I'll pray for us, and then if you would, after I'm done praying. This concludes this teaching from the prayer room. For more resources or to schedule another TPR teacher to come speak at your church or event, please see our website at theprayerroomdfw.com. Thank you.